I think for a lot of people, life seems to be returning to normal. So you have stores reopening and, and offices are reopening. But this is still very much a recovery and still very much an economic recovery. Especially for sectors like retail and hospitality that, you know, didn't survive the pandemic shock and have shut for good. Look, the pandemic destroyed the value of many jobs. It, it made it more dangerous for workers and it made it less valuable for employers because they couldn't earn as much revenue. There were so many jobs that were lost. I mean, it was a net of about 7 million jobs throughout the pandemic, but that doesn't even account for the jobs that could have been created, you know, had the pandemic never happened. You really have not only a lopsided, uneven recovery, but really two different job markets. One for low-paid workers who are still seeing barriers and ongoing health concerns, and another one where the competition and salary increases are probably going to accelerate. And then there are all these other factors. The pandemic really reshaped how we think about work and a lot of these existing issues that have been in place, like childcare, like working from home. For each of us, the way that we think about our own health and the way we want to interact with other people and how often we want to be in the office, those elements of our preferences are important for our job match. And they weren't important for our job match two years ago. And I think it's just created an entirely new labor market. Hey there, Pulse Jack listeners. This is Jeremy Siegel continuing our special series on the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm talking with Katherine Landrigan about how the pandemic upended the workforce and what changes can be made to get Americans back to work. Here's our conversation. So, Katherine, like you mentioned, even though things are opening up in a lot of ways, there's still a big portion of the population that either remains unemployed or isn't re-entering the workforce right now. And you got together this group of government officials who work in employment and also economic experts to talk about why that is and also how to fix it. And I want to talk about both of those. First, why are there so many Americans still out of work? The experts that we spoke with identified several reasons why this is. The first being that coronavirus is not over and it's still a threat. A surge in new cases across the U.S., that number 83 percent of all new cases from this Delta variant sweeping through the unvaccinated and now affecting the vaccinated, too, with those so-called breakthrough cases. So COVID obviously made it more dangerous for people to go to work, but now that things are reopening, fear of infection still very much remains a concern. Um, and a lot of Americans aren't vaccinated yet. And workplaces aren't all requiring vaccinations or masking in place. So that is definitely one big issue. Mm -hmm. Another one is that job losses were really uneven during this time period and concentrated in lower wage sectors like leisure and hospitality, while white collar jobs ended up remaining a lot more stable during this time where people could work from home. The inequities in the jobs market that have been persistent have only been amplified and exacerbated. So that's what we're left with. Um, and so this has led to a really uneven recovery. Another big piece is that workers' needs have changed. And that's something that has been really surprising, I think, is that businesses have had a hard time convincing some unemployed workers to take jobs 
that are available. So you have people who might have been laid off or left the workforce during the pandemic and now jobs that are maybe similar to what they had before are back. But because of the pandemic, they're like, not so fast. I'm not sure if this is what I want to be doing or where I want to be doing it or even the wage I want to be doing it at. Definitely. I think, and that was a big part of our discussion, is that your priority pre-COVID as a worker um, is is not going to be the same post-COVID. I think we have different expectations. I think the pandemic really shifted a lot of people's mindsets. And so we're seeing that in every in every single facet. You really have to think, is this the healthiest thing? Is this the best thing for me? Am I making the kind of money and being provided with the kind of benefits that I need in order to move on? There's also the issue of of wage expectations. Unemployment benefits were really generous during this time period, and businesses have had to boost pay to get people to work during this time and and now. Mm. There's also the the issue that many workers don't have childcare in place right now. And this is because daycares shut down and in a lot of instances, people had their childcare arrangements upended because a nanny or a trusted family member could no longer look after their children. Uh-huh. There's also been the fact that automation has eliminated some jobs. So employers filled the gaps with... AI tools or other equipment. So in one instance, you know, restaurants have used apps to take meal orders and agricultural and food processing plants are using a lot more uh, robotic tools now. Um, And so that's a concern that these sectors will not be able to employ the same number of people that they were in the past. So there's this wide range of things that have just like totally upended the workforce and the way people are thinking about the jobs they had or the jobs that they want to return to. Um, What did the experts you talked to say could be done to try to fix this, to try to convince people to go back to work or help people get back into the workforce as we emerge from the pandemic? Sure. So I think one thing that came up uh, a few times was just to try to increase the number of people who are vaccinated. Um, so it's, you know, more than half of working age Americans are fully vaccinated, but the virus is obviously still out there. And a number of experts said that the virus, you know, that the labor market won't fully recover until that threat has diminished. That was a point that Aaron Sojourner um, of the University of Minnesota made. And I think Addressing the public health crisis is the first order solution to getting us out of the uh, jobs hole. Um, Another key point was to provide transitional assistance to workers. So because unemployment benefits were so generous during the pandemic, uh, particularly for low-wage workers... Some states are looking at giving a bit of a a boost to those workers to try to incentivize them to get back to work. So, for example, in Rhode Island, there's a a new law that allows people to collect up to 150 percent of their unemployment benefit rate uh, before they lose their benefits. Um, And Michael Weishart, who is the director of the Arizona Department of Economic Security, explained to us about what his state is doing, which is that it's providing $2,000 bonuses for workers who find and maintain full-time employment and $1,000 bonuses for part-time workers. So that'll help offset some of the lost unemployment insurance that folks will experience and help them 
um, with those costs associated with uh, restarting back into work, whether it's transportation, clothing, tools, um, any of those sorts of costs. So the key with this is that the money is designed to help offset the loss of these benefits, but also help workers with new expenses, um, you know, for start with starting a new job, like buying a new car. Mm-hmm. Another key solution was trying to increase the supply of childcare. So one of the biggest costs that par- parents incur when they return to work is paying for childcare. And that's something that our experts noted several times. So in Arizona, for example, the state is actually giving away three months of childcare for workers who re-enter the labor market. Um, and then if they do find a job that pays too little to cover their childcare costs, they can apply for a subsidized childcare program through the state. Hmm. Another solution that was proposed was expanding work from home policies. And this is something that, of course, businesses would have to do on their own. But our experts made the case that this would help parents, this would help people with disabilities, and this would just help retain people who want more flexibility and, you know, might choose to go to a different job if they don't have that flexibility. Uh-huh. So another another key issue is that many of the jobs that, you know, were lost during the pandemic were some of these lower skilled service jobs. And so states are talking about investing more in job training to help get these workers to go back to work. So uh, in Illinois, the chief of staff for the governor and Caprera said that the state is looking at using federal money to invest more in job training. And even so far as to take some of our uh, rescue money, which I will say has been a boon for the state, the resources that we are getting in order order to be able to invest in job retraining um, and different programs that we were already looking to do. That's something that Rhode Island is already doing. They they took $45 million of federal COVID relief money to pay for job training services. And they were putting a lot of these services online, including a virtual career center. So you type in and you can upload your resume. It'll scrape your resume. You can answer a few questions if you don't have a resume. And the idea is to create efficiency in the labor market. So how do we get you and your unique skills and talents in front of job opportunities that might be the most successful to you? Also, with getting back to work, workers have to actually be able to get to their jobs. And for some lower-wage workers, that can be difficult if they don't have transportation. Santiago uh, Garza is the executive director for Community Investment for South Bend talked about how his city created a program that gives shift workers discounted rides through transit or ride sharing. So these are all programs or ideas that are happening or could happen um, at either the state level or in cities like the last program you mentioned in, in South Bend, Indiana, or they could be action from individual employers, um, whether it's cash incentives for getting back to work or having more remote work options. But one thing we haven't talked about here is is the federal government. Um, is there anything that these state and city leaders you spoke with think Washington can be doing here to help them get Americans back in the workforce? There were a few things that these experts identified. Um, one that was a bit surprising to me that I didn't know much about was improving data collection, data sharing. So they spoke a, a lot about how there's there's a limited amount of information that's available. Hmm. There was information on things like how many unemployment claims were filed, how many continuing claims there were, but there wasn't much information about things like race or ethnicity, wage levels, 
and things like that. And so it was it was harder for for these these folks to make policy recommendations if they didn't have that information. And so that was one of the big expect one of the biggest recommendations was for the federal government to just to be more transparent in the information that it does have and to give more information uh, and also to allow states to share that information. Hmm. I'm curious overall what your thoughts are as a reporter coming out of this conversation with people who you know, dealing with the knit and grit everyday policy of this situation, like what did talking with them make you think about how things are going to look positive or negative in the U.S. workforce in the months and years to come after COVID? That's a good question. I think, you know, it it's definitely an experiment, right? And I think it kind of remains to be seen. It definitely gives me confidence in that I think government officials and and other experts are really experimenting right now in a way that maybe they weren't before. I mean, government obviously is known as maybe not trying to experiment quite as much or to to can be criticized for not moving quickly enough and the pandemic really changed the game for for all of us in many ways and I think it remains to be seen how this will play out, but it's it's definitely going to be something that's fascinating to watch. All right, that is our show for this week. I'm Jeremy Siegel, and big thanks to Catherine Landrigan for joining. Her reporting in this episode was part of Politico's Recovery Lab series, which explores some of the biggest ideas on how we can emerge from the pandemic. For more, you can find a link in this episode's show notes. To stay up on all of our health team's latest coverage of the pandemic, be sure to sign up for Politico's daily health newsletter, Politico Pulse, and also subscribe to this podcast, Pulse Check, if you haven't yet. Pulse Check's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament, and our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.